The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments. Not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Section 27 of The Age of the Condottieri by Oscar Browning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 12, Leo X, Part 2. The peace was only of a short duration. Europe was seething with mighty forces which no one completely understood and which no one could master. All were conscious of the presence of a new age, and each tried to grasp eagerly and prematurely the advantages which the new age would bring forth. As early as February 1517, Leo X invited the assistance of Francis I for the recovery of the Duchy of Urbino and the Medicean state of Florence was naturally comprised in the arrangement. Shortly afterwards, a treaty was signed at Cambrai between the three great potentates, Charles, Francis, and Henry, for the partition of the north of Italy. Venice, Florence, Pisa, Ligorne, and Siena were to be formed into a state under the name of the Kingdom of Italy, which was to be given as an imperial fief either to Charles V or his brother Ferdinand, while the rest, including Lombardy, Genoa, Asti, Piedmont, Mantua, Montferrat, Verona, Piacenza, and Lucca, were to go to Francis, also as an imperial fief, under the name of the kingdom of lombardy leo besides was afflicted by domestic troubles his enemies were those of his own household the most powerful of these was cardinal raffaello riario who rode about rome with a suite mounted on forty horses another young cardinal alfonso petrucci formed a plot to kill the pope and to change the government of rome he had more than once brought a dagger with him into the consistory, but his courage failed him. He then attempted to use poison, but was betrayed to the Pope, tried and executed. At the same time, the Cardinals Raffaello Riario and Adriano were both put into prison. Adriano, strange to say, was of Bath and Wells in England. He escaped to Venice, but returning to Rome at the death of the Pope, he was murdered by one of his own servants. In order to secure himself against similar attacks, Leo created thirty-nine cardinals at once, of various states and of different ranks in the ecclesiastical hierarchy. Some of them were distinguished, but they were most of them friends and adherents of the Medici. The ceremonies attending this creation, and the war with Urbino, which now came to an end, cost the Pope enormous sums and plunged him heavily into debt. 
still he was in the possession of outward prosperity the states of the church were consolidated and at peace lorenzo was married to madalena daughter of john the second lord of la tour auvergne the lateran council was closed having devoted its last sittings to the possibilities of a crusade against the turks yet on the other side of the alps a storm was arising more serious than any which had as yet stricken the foundations of papal obedience the money required for the pope's necessities was supplied by the sale of indulgences and this sale raised the indignation of luther on the eve of all saints october thirty first fifteen seventeen he fastened on the door of the cathedral of wittenberg the ninety-five theses by which he challenged the authority of the pope luther born at eisleben in fourteen eighty three had visited rome in fifteen ten and made his pilgrimage round the seven basilicas and had climbed the sacred staircases on his knees he now refused to obey the pope's citation to rome he attended the imperial diet at augsburg with the safe conduct of the emperor and the elector of saxony and appealed against the authority of the pope to a general council together with the reformation which brought about a condition of war in europe which lasted until sixteen forty eight and indeed for some time afterwards arose a political struggle for the possession of the empire maximilian strained every nerve to secure it for his grandson charles who he hoped would some day recover both milan and burgundy as ornaments of the imperial crown his rival was king francis i maximilian pressed leo to crown charles king of the romans in germany but before this could be accomplished maximilian died at linz on january eleventh fifteen nineteen with him passed away a remarkable figure he stands astride the medieval and the modern world he so far comprehended his peculiar position that he took pains in his political conduct by reconstruction of the army and by constitutional reforms to prepare the old fabric of the empire to meet its new conditions and responsibilities in the contest for the imperial crown leo as might be expected played a double part he thought that the raising of either of these two powerful monarchs to the imperial throne would not contribute either to the security of the apostolic see or to the interests of italy the pope would have preferred the margrave of brandenburg but he would not accept frederick of saxony the protector of luther charles was elected emperor at frankfurt on june twenty eighth fifteen nineteen when leo saw that his election was inevitable he did his best to secure his friendship charles was it is true a stranger to germany but he was grandson of maximilian a descendant of the imperial line of Habsburg, and was the best bulwark that could be found against the ambition of the french and the onslaught of the turks the great empire of charles v is the common source from which most of the arrangements of our modern states have arisen before this time the two great powers in europe were the church and the state the pope at the head of the one and the emperor at the head of the other both these powers were weakened or destroyed by the reformation and in their place a new antagonism sprang up the antagonism between protestantism and catholicism 
represented mainly by the germanic and the romanic nations france stood at the head of one section germany herself divided at the head of the other the political life of italy sank into comparative unimportance at the age of nineteen charles ruled over spain flanders naples sicily and germany and styled himself king of the indian islands and of the oceanic continent a struggle with france was inevitable leo as usual knew not which side to take his flatterers advised him to throw himself in the arms of charles but his instinct forbade him as he dreaded the effect of his overweening power in italy at the same time an alliance with germany was rendered easier by the death of his nephew lorenzo duke of urbino who had married a frenchwoman his wife had died six days before in april fifteen nineteen after giving birth to a daughter who at a later time became famous as catherine of medici the wife of one french king and the mother of three others she was the last legitimate scion of the elder house of medici one son remained alexander afterwards duke of florence from fifteen thirty four to fifteen thirty seven he was a mulatto and his mother was a negress it is certain that he was a bastard but it is not certain whether his father was lorenzo or giulio probably however the latter machiavelli urged leo x to take the opportunity of restoring liberty to florence but he refused as he had been too much accustomed to regard florence as the private property of his house it is strange that pope leo x should like the emperor augustus of rome have lost one after the other those he had expected would be his heirs but this loss did not make him less anxious to increase the possessions of the holy see he aimed at the wrestling of parma piacenza and ferrara from venice and he was ready to ally himself with that power which would best further the execution of his views for this purpose he entered into communication both with francis and charles charles assumed the crown of the holy roman empire at aix-la-chapelle on october twenty third fifteen twenty on the very same day that solomon the magnificent girt himself with the sword of mahomet at constantinople charles had some difficulty in persuading the citizens of castile and aragon to accept a sovereign who was a fleming by birth and education and he was greatly in want of allies henry the eighth had married catherine of aragon and nevertheless on the field of the cloth of gold he had met francis i and embraced him with all affection although he was the most formidable rival of charles in order to counteract this friendship charles took care to meet henry the eighth at rouen and by loading his minister cardinal wolsey with riches and honours believed that he had fully attained his end the emperor charles v summoned his first diet to meet in worms on january sixth fifteen twenty one germany was then on fire from one extremity to the other with the agitation produced by luther he had been excommunicated as we have heard on july fifteenth fifteen twenty and had appealed to a council charles was at this time extremely anxious to secure the friendship of the pope they both needed each other for the ends they had in view the driving of the french from italy and the establishment of the sforza in milan just before the meeting of the diet leo renewed his excommunication against the rebellious monk at Rheims, 
Charles stood for the first time face to face with the German nation. The younger and more alert spirits would have wished him to place himself at the head of Germany and to resist her two deadliest enemies, France and the Papacy. But Charles was not disposed to break entirely with the ancient church. His views were rather to repress the storm of anarchy in Germany, which threatened to break up the old civil and religious polity, to extinguish the authority of the Turks in the east, and to curb the ambition of France in the west. France provoked him to war, and he was ready to meet her. It is perhaps fortunate that the emperor did not head the German Reformation. Being left to itself, it became a popular movement, and was in the end more completely successful. Luther appeared before the Diet of Worms on April 17th and 18th, 1521. Here he withstood the emperor, surrounded by his brilliant court. I cannot do otherwise, God help me, was his cry. The edict launched against him was dated May 26th, when many of the estates had gone away and Luther himself was in safety. Charles did not act a sincere or single part with regard to Luther. On the one hand, he was anxious to ingratiate himself with the Pope, and perhaps to satisfy his own conscience by condemning him. On the other, he felt that it would be unwise to crush him entirely, as he could be used from time to time as a useful check upon papal authority. The Reformation in Italy had a different character to that in Germany. Its principal effect was to bring into prominence the hatred felt against the temporal power of the Pope. Machiavelli and Giuciardini, the two foremost political characters of their time, both considered the temporal power of the popes as the curse of Italy, and Giuciardini tells us that although circumstances forced him into the service of the popes, yet that his nature would have led him to prefer Luther, in the hope that if he did not entirely ruin, he might at least seriously impair the accursed tyranny of the priests. Such were the aspirations of Italian patriots, who desired that Italy might take her proper place among the kingdoms of the world. But Italy was not ripe for such an effort, and there were no materials for forming or for continuing temporal sovereignty. Centuries were destined to elapse before their hopes were finally realized. On the same day on which the bull against Luther was issued, a league was made between the Pope and the Emperor. The conditions were that Milan and Genoa should be taken from the French and be given back to their legitimate rulers, Francesco Sforza, the younger brother of Massimiliano, and to Antonietto Adorno. After the French had been driven out, Charles promised to give Piacenza to the Pope and to help him to conquer Ferrara. On the other hand, the Pope was to invest Charles with the kingdom of Naples and to crown him emperor and to support him in the war against Venice. It was to be left open for the Swiss and the English to join this league if they pleased. It was not so easy to hire Swiss soldiers as it had been. Cardinal Schiner did his best to assist the pontiff, but Zwingli told his countrymen, The cardinals wear large cloaks and red hats, shake them and ducats fall out of them, wring them and your own blood drops out. France, seeing that a breach with Charles was inevitable, declared war against him and attacked his possessions both in Luxembourg and Navarra with very little success. It was in the Battle of Esqueros, in the War of Navarra, on June 30, 1521, 
that ignatius loyola received the wound which had so important an effect on the fortunes of the catholic church it was in the enforced retirement of the hospital that he conceived the idea of founding the society of the jesuits the king of france had no allies in italy except the duke of ferrara the republic of venice and some of the smaller italian despots wolsey although he did not give up the hope of mediating between the two contending powers made a treaty with charles v on august twenty fifth at bruges milan was captured on november nineteenth and only a few towns were left to the french the pope was so overjoyed at the fall of milan that he said that it was of more value than the papacy itself he talked of creating cardinal giulio de medici duke of milan and of making francesco sforza cardinal in his place piacenza and parma soon followed the fate of milan but leo was unable to enjoy his triumph news of the conquest of milan was brought to him on november twenty fourth in his villa of maliano the next day he returned to rome and was received by the populace with great rejoicings the shaking of olive branches the blowing of trumpets and the firing of guns a consistory had been summoned on the following wednesday november twenty ninth and the pope intended to go in person to the church of santa maria del popolo to return thanks for his victory but the night before he felt unwell and on december first fifteen twenty one he died one effect of his death was to ruin his friends as they had lent him large sums of money which now would never be repaid after the enormous expense of his court he did not leave enough money to pay for his funeral it was necessary to use up the old candles prepared for the obsequies of cardinal riario the name of leo x is generally held in honour as the great hero of the renaissance who continued the work of lorenzo and cosimo de medici the sovereign under whom culture and refinement reached its zenith in italy this side of his career belongs rather to literary than to political history as a politician we must judge that leo x was little better than his predecessors he filled the papal court with his relations he did not succeed in driving out the french from italy he dealt no serious blow to the turks he did not secure either the unity of italy or the peace of europe he showed no courage in great crises he left the church a prey to the reformation if he cannot be accused of employing the arts of machiavelli in temporal matters he must plead guilty to the charge of defending the holy see with those weapons of deceit and double-dealing which under the name of finesse and economy have brought so much discredit on the career and the reputation of the jesuits End of section twenty seven section twenty eight of the age of the condottieri by oscar browning this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter thirteen the sack of rome part one the election of a new pope appeared to contemporary politicians as the decision between the conflicting claims of charles v and francis i to the mastery of europe every device of persuasion fraud and violence was used to effect the result it was said that there were eighteen candidates charles's ambassador manuel was horrified at what he saw at rome he said 
that hell itself could not contain so much hatred and so many devils as there were amongst the cardinals the candidates who had the best chance were the spaniard carvajal wolsey the englishman and giulio de medici charles would have been very glad to accept giulio but he had too many enemies to succeed the states of the church were in a flame when giulio consented to give his support to some other imperial candidate and the choice fell upon hadrian of utrecht who was elected on january ninth fifteen twenty two it was difficult for the conclave to make up their minds to elect an unknown foreigner and cardinal farnese came very near to obtaining the papacy the people of rome received the news with a howl of execration but the imperial party were in the greatest delight the new pope was a fleming son of a shipbuilder at utrecht named boyens he was born in fourteen fifty nine he had been the tutor to charles v and was then vice-chancellor of the university of louvain he afterwards became bishop of tortosa and cardinal and on the accession of charles to the throne of spain was made regent of that country in his absence charles was naturally delighted at the election and sent immediately to say that he hoped to receive the imperial crown at the hands of his former tutor in return the pope gave him similar assurances of good will hadrian heard of his elevation at vittoria but he delayed his departure until a fleet could be ready in barcelona to convey him across the dangerous seas in the meantime the war between the french and the imperialists was continuing in northern italy milan as we know had been taken and genoa was sacked anarchy and confusion reigned in rome itself and there was some apprehension lest a second avignon should be established in spain to make matters worse the plague had broken out in the eternal city it is a curious proof of the heathen sympathies of the time that in order to stay the pestilence an ox consecrated with magic rites was led by a greek through the streets to the Colosseum and there solemnly sacrificed the roman clergy not offering a word of objection hadrian set out from his see at tortosa on july eighth fifteen twenty three and a month later sailed from tarragona he had no interview with charles before his departure which was looked upon as a sign of independence he landed at genoa and did his best to spare the town he reached rome at the end of august on his arrival he refused all pagan honours his entry into the capital was simple partly on account of the plague partly because leo had left the treasury poor his life was certainly a great contrast to that of his predecessors he hated the unholy pomp the naked statues the glaring frescoes he reluctantly submitted to endure the splendours of the vatican and longed for a lodging in a quiet house and garden pope hadrian the sixth for his title was a repetition of his christian name was a handsome man of imposing and serious mien he lived in the simplest manner he rose before daybreak to pray and spent the rest of the day in study his needs were supplied by a single servant whom he had brought with him from spain his expenses were a ducat a day which he paid overnight to his chaplain for the morrow he spoke no italian and little of anything else and latin with a foreign accent he gave no encouragement to artists and it is well perhaps that raffaele had died in fifteen twenty 
the great frescoes begun by his predecessors remained unfinished on the walls poets and fine writers were driven from the vatican sadolet went to his bishopric of carpentras saying that rome was rome no longer castiglione retired to mantua perhaps the reputation of leo x has been intensified by the contrast with his successor hadrian found nothing to succeed to but debts he dismissed the idle crowd of menials which thronged the galleries of the vatican he filled the court with flemings and gave his chief confidence to men of his own nation the objects which hadrian had nearest at heart were those which had for some time formed part of the programme of every new pope he desired to give peace to italy and to the world to lead a crusade against the turks to stamp out heresy and to reform the church he began by setting himself to stop the sale of indulgences but in none of these objects was he successful he effected something by restoring alfonso of ferrara to his dominions but he could not reconcile the great powers indeed on june nineteenth fifteen twenty two charles and henry had met at windsor and entered into an alliance against france although belgrade had fallen and soliman was threatening Rhodes, there was little hope of organizing an expedition against the turks the attempts of the pope to reform the church were equally idle the evils which caused the mischief were too deeply rooted there was no abuse which had not many defenders personally interested in maintaining it hadrian's own simplicity of life served only to set off in stronger contrast the unbounded luxury of the cardinals he had too little sympathy with the tastes and passions of his predecessors the breach between him and them was too abrupt he stigmatized the great group of the laocoon as one of the idols of the heathen and made the belvedere of the vatican the depository of the finest statues from antiquity almost inaccessible his efforts to stem the reformation were not destined to be more successful luther was it is true imprisoned on the wartburg but his writings were disseminated throughout germany hadrian would have been glad to have reformed the church but how was such a work to be begun the war against the turks fared no better the knights of st john and rhodes in vain implored help from europe only three papal ships went to their assistance they had possessed the island since thirteen o nine they left it for ever four thousand strong on january first fifteen twenty three it was impossible to compel the three great rivals charles v henry the eighth and francis i to sink their differences and make a truce francis refused to yield up his claims to milan and naples and charles would not desert the league formed for the humiliation of france the troubles of hadrian were still further increased at this time by a conspiracy which was formed against the government of giulio de medici at florence it was supported by cardinal soderini the leader of the french party in the sacred college and the king of france was privy to it it was hoped that france would assist by attacking florence and sending a fleet against sicily the pope therefore seeing that francis was beyond the reach of his advice was forced slowly and reluctantly to take the side of the empire and england on august third fifteen twenty three 
a league was signed between charles henry milan florence genoa siena lucca and the pope and was published two days later in the church of santa maria maggiore lanois viceroy of naples was named general of the league it was directed against the enemies of italy but the turks were forgotten and its true objective was francis i the chances of francis i in resisting his enemies were made far worse by the sudden revolt and desertion of charles duke of bourbon constable of france he was one of the most powerful of the vassals of the crown and had been allowed to preserve almost royal independence he was descended in the seventh generation from robert count of clermont brother of philippe le hardi and the son of louis the ninth who had married beatrice of burgundy heiress of dampierre bourbon charles himself of the line of montpensier had acquired the duchy of bourbon through his wife susanna heiress of the elder line constable bourbon had ambitious views for his own advancement and aimed at independent sovereignty his treachery became at last too open to be concealed and he fled to take refuge with charles francis however did not interrupt his preparations and marched upon Souza. hadrian was heartbroken at the overthrow of his cherished plans the security of the peace of europe the crusade against the turks and the council for reforming the church he died on the very day that the french army crossed the ticino september fourth fifteen twenty three he was one of the most virtuous popes that ever occupied the papal throne but he strove in vain to stem the tide of corruption he was the last pope who was not an italian he is buried in the german church at rome and on his monument are inscribed these words pro dolor quantum refert in quad tempora vel optimi cuiusque in virtus incidat alas what a difference do the circumstances of their time make to the merits of even the best man the conclave summoned to elect a new pope after the death of hadrian lasted fifty days as before it must be regarded as a trial of strength between the three great potentates of europe henry the eighth francis i and charles v cardinal wolsey the nominee of the first of these monarchs had no chance because the romans were determined to have an italian pope cardinal farnese was the french candidate while giulio de medici was supported by the emperor giulio was at last chosen on november eighteenth fifteen twenty three it is said mainly by the influence of the condottiere leader prospero colonna who was in his turn influenced by the duke of serre the representative of charles the new pope took the name of clement the seventh and reigned till fifteen thirty four a date which transcends the limits of this present work the election was received with joy and the people looked forward to the prospect of a brilliant court the bastard son of the murdered giuliano was now forty-six years of age he was of a serious and energetic character and the greatest hopes were entertained of him he recalled to his court the men of letters whom pope hadrian had exiled and bade fair to renew the glories of the age of leo end of section twenty eight section twenty nine of the age of the condottieri by oscar browning this librivox recording is in the public domain 
Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 13 The Sack of Rome, Part 2. Clement VII had taken an active part in the formation of the League against France, but he felt that as Pope he should display at least some appearance of impartiality. He could not declare himself as openly as he had when Cardinal. The war continued in Lombardy, but fortune began to abandon the French. Milan was held by Prospero Colonna in the name of the Emperor, but was closely invested by the French, who occupied the territories of Legnano, Monza, Cassano, and Melignano. The last-mentioned place was held by the Chevalier Bayard, the hero of French romance, the knight without fear and without reproach. He captured Lodi and went on to attack Cremona, but failed in the attempt and had to return to Monza. Colonna, now over eighty years of age, died on December 28, 1523, and was succeeded first by Lanois, who was summoned hastily from Naples, and then by the constable Bourbon, who was made lieutenant-governor of Lombardy. As a Frenchman taking service under a German emperor, he may be regarded as the last of the condottieri. In the beginning of the next year the French again suffered defeats. Bayard was beaten at Robeco on January 25, 1525. The castle of Cremona was taken, the Allies passed the Ticino on March the 2nd, and Bonnevet, the French commander, retired to Novara. Defeats again followed on the Sesia, and Bayard was taken prisoner at Ravizingo after receiving a wound which caused his death in a short time. The French army existed no longer. A few scattered and demoralized bands of troops re-entered France, more or less protected from insult by the Swiss. Lodi, Pescara, and Novara fell. Pope Clement was by no means unfeignedly pleased with this result. He did not need the emperor to obtain a permanent footing in Italy. Therefore he opened up negotiations with France and tried to detach Venice from the League. Nicholas Schomberg, Archbishop of Capua, was dispatched as legate to France, Italy, and Germany to endeavor to conclude a truce. This, however, had no effect, and on May 25th, Henry VIII and Charles V renewed their ancient league, engaging themselves to invade France from different sides. Bourbon was base enough to invade his own country, and had been induced by the English ambassador Richard Pace, who visited him at Montcalieri, to take an oath of allegiance to the emperor. As he marched along the shores of the Mediterranean, town after town fell before him, and he at last undertook the siege of Marseille. Francis, having to avenge the disgrace of his arms, collected a force of forty thousand men and marched in person at its head. He crossed the Alps and descended into the Lombard Plain, found Milan in a defenceless state, the garrison having been withdrawn into the neighboring towns. On October 26, 1524, the French entered the long-contested capital in triumph, and immediately began to lay siege to Pavia. By this unexpected change of fortune, Clement VII found himself in the greatest difficulty. He naturally wished to preserve the integrity of the papal dominions and of Florence, and he may be credited with some desire to restore peace to Italy. 
when charles had conquered he had negotiated with him and he now entered into overtures with france venice also began to seek the protection of france which some time before she had so basely deserted it is difficult to forecast the ultimate object of negotiations which were never brought to a conclusion but it is probable that clement wished that milan should remain in the hands of the emperor and that francis should have possession of naples he therefore granted a passage through his dominions to john stuart duke of albany who was sent by francis into the south of italy and excused himself to lanois the viceroy on the ground that he was obliged to bow to circumstances he afterwards made a league with the french king under the condition that parma and piacenza should pass to the holy see florence should remain untouched the church should be supported and that a war against the turks should be begun charles v when he heard of this was beside himself with anger he declared that he would come to italy in person to revenge himself upon his enemies and that he would make venice ferrara and the pope pay dearly for their duplicity it was no time now he said to speak of luther the french army was still engaged in the siege of pavia but the king idled away his time in the park of mirabello and left the whole conduct of military affairs to bonnivet fortune at this time smiled upon the french at sea varagine lago di moncara the admiral of the imperial fleet was conquered and taken prisoner by andrea doria but this did not prevent a serious disaster on land the duty of francis was obviously to raise the siege of pavia and to meet the imperial army before it should receive reinforcements this course of action was pressed upon the king by la pelise la tremouille and thomas de foix but he continued to confide in bonnivet lodi was still in the possession of the imperial troops they marched out of the town on january twenty fifth fifteen twenty five passed over the fatal field of marignano and approached pavia to attack the besieging army for some weeks the armies lay in the presence of each other the time being occupied by skirmishes which generally ended to the disadvantage of the french at length on february twenty fourth fifteen twenty five the decisive battle of pavia was fought it was very hardly contested as both sides knew the possession of italy was at stake the king thought that he had won the day by the prowess of his splendid cavalry but the result was changed by the steadiness of the spanish arquebusier the bravest nobles on the side of france had fallen the king himself was wounded when francis saw that the battle was lost he attempted to fly but he was conspicuous from the splendour of his attire his surcoat of silver his white plume had been noticeable in the thickest of the struggle he was borne down by force of numbers and compelled to surrender himself prisoner he refused to give up his sword to the traitor bourbon he said i know no other duke of bourbon but myself he would only submit himself to lanois the appointed viceroy of charles v he was in a terrible condition bleeding so as scarcely to be recognized his plume his girdle his order of st michael his silver coat of mail had been stripped off him by the soldiers as they said for keepsakes 
bourbon and the rest of the victorious generals could scarcely refrain from tears it was indeed a remarkable scene only paralleled by that other tragedy of our own days when the emperor of the french surrendered his sword to the future emperor of germany the french army was entirely destroyed out of thirty-six thousand men twelve thousand lay dead on the field the chief among the french nobles were taken prisoner thomas de foix montmorency and the king of navarre from pavia couriers hastened to spain germany england and rome francis in sending the news to his mother the duchess of angouleme said all is lost except life and honour when charles v heard in madrid that the king of france was his prisoner he grew pale he was overcome by the greatness of his good fortune he allowed no extravagant signs of rejoicing but sought for help in prayer and looked forward to a european crusade against the turks clement the seventh received the news with dismay he could scarcely believe it the colonna and the spanish party were triumphant the pope felt himself in much the same position as that in which julius the second had been after the battle of ravenna the imperialists were eager to march immediately upon rome but lanois thought it better policy to make terms with clement and to force money out of him florence had to pay a hundred thousand florins and a large sum was demanded from venice charles had a dread that francis might be taken to naples but the king persuaded lanois to conduct him to genoa instead as being better for his health from this port he would be removed by sea to spain and it is possible that he expected to be rescued by the fleet of andrea doria he landed at palamos in june seventeenth and then proceeded to barcelona charles gave orders that he should be confined in the castle of madrid where he arrived on august seventeenth the battle of pavia had brought europe into a serious crisis france lay exhausted england threatened her with invasion the emperor conceived plans of attacking lyon and avignon germany was overthrown by the reformation and by the risings of the peasants the papacy was tottering to its fall it was natural that clement should favour the formation of a league against this preponderance of strength his object being to unite the powers of italy venice florence and milan under the protection of england relations between england and charles had become strained because the king of england would not consent to the emperor's occupying a portion of france wolsey had not forgiven charles for cheating him as he believed out of the papacy he listened to the proposals for forming a league for the defence and liberties of italy the projected alliance was to include england france italy scotland portugal hungary navarre lorraine hilders and switzerland at the same time a very obscure conspiracy was begun by morone the secretary of francesco sforza even after the publication of numerous documents the whole matter remains in the greatest uncertainty it appears that morone invited pescara the conqueror of pavia to commit a great act of treason to betray charles restore the dukedom of milan to the sforzas and to receive the kingdom of naples as his reward it is not certain how either morone or pescara was guilty in this arrangement it is certain that they both betrayed each other to the emperor pescara listened to the suggestions of morone 
but said that nothing could be done without the adhesion of venice and the pope he then invited morone to a conference and had him arrested pescara died shortly afterwards on december third and by his last testament ordered that morone should be set at liberty perhaps being afraid of the revelations which he might make his successor the marchese del vasto did not dare to assume the responsibility of executing his wishes pescara at his death was only thirty-six years of age he left behind him the greatest reputation as a general his widow vittoria colonna devoted her poetical powers to the celebration of his virtues End of section twenty nine section thirty of the age of the condottieri by oscar browning this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter thirteen the sack of rome part three francis i was still a prisoner in the castle of madrid and it was difficult to determine on what terms he should be released in any case it was probable that he would remain an enemy to charles for life the duchess of alencon sister of francis came to madrid in september fifteen twenty five partly to take care of her brother who had fallen ill and partly to discuss terms of accommodation with the emperor the renunciation of all claims to possessions in italy was easily agreed upon but charles demanded not only the complete restitution of the duke of bourbon to his estates but also the concession of all his other claims besides the annexation of the duchy of burgundy by the emperor this francis could not assent to there was also some talk of the marriage of the king who was a widower to eleonora sister of charles v who was herself the widow of the king of portugal the duchess returned to her brother having settled nothing the negotiations were then taken up by gabriel de gramont bishop of tarbes francis offered to pay the enormous contribution of three million crowns and to marry eleonora giving her the duchy of burgundy as a dower these terms were not accepted francis then abdicated in favour of the dauphin with the duchess of angouleme as regent at last on december nineteenth the terms were concluded francis renounced his claims to italy aragon catalonia roussillon flanders artois burgundy and agreed to marry eleonora the treaty of madrid as it was called was solemnly sworn to by the king and the french plenipotentiaries on january fourteenth fifteen twenty six but the day before he had signed a protest declaring that he yielded to force and that his arrest was to be regarded as null and void charles was advised not to release francis before he had obtained possession of burgundy but he ratified the treaty on february eleventh and ten days afterwards returned to france leaving behind him as hostages two of his sons the dauphin aged eighteen and a half and the duke of orleans who was under seven the duke of angouleme the youngest remained with him machiavelli said of this treaty i shall always say that if the king acts as a wise man the emperor is mad francis touched the soil of france again on march ninth 
and, of course, did not ratify the treaty. The states of Burgundy refused to detach themselves from France. Eleonora, sister of Charles V, had been promised in marriage to the Duke of Bourbon. When she became the wife of Francis I, Bourbon was invested with the Duchy of Milan by the Emperor, and Francesco Maria was deposed. The establishment of a Frenchman on an Italian throne caused great indignation in Italy. Francis, when he found himself safe in his own dominions, formed the League of Cognac on May 22, 1526. The contracting parties were France, Venice, and the Pope, but as a formality, leave was given both to Charles V and Ferdinand, his brother, to join if they pleased. The object of the League was the liberation of the king's sons from Spain on payment of an adequate sum of money, and the preservation of the Duchy of Milan for Sforza. The king of France was to retain the county of Asti in Italy, and his ancient suzerainty over Genoa. There were two final articles, one as to the conditions under which Charles V should be allowed to retain possession of Naples, and the other intended to place Florence firmly under the principality of the Medici. This was the Second Holy League. The Pope solemnly absolved Francis from his sins, and Henry VIII of England was named protector of the League, in the hope that he would shortly join it. A Pope once more stood at the head of a League, the object of which was the enfranchisement of Italy. Charles was surprised at this energetic resistance, and sent Jago di Moncada to explain his views, and if possible to disarm his enemies. He tried his powers of persuasion on the Pope, but Clement was not willing to desert his allies. It was necessary for the success of the League that the armies of the several allies should act in strict combination, but each of the members distrusted the other. Milan was attacked, but with little success, and Sforza was compelled to surrender himself to Bourbon. But a rising in Rome struck the League in its most vital part. The old feeling of the Ghibellines for the empire was not extinct. The Colonna was against the Pope and attacked Rome. Although Clement VII was a far better Pope than Leo X, he was much more unpopular. The Pope was forced to retire with his Swiss guard into the castle of St. Angelo, and the Vatican was left defenseless. The palace was plundered by the troops of the Colonna to the value of 300,000 ducats. The Pope could not maintain himself in the fortress of St. Angelo because it had been disarmed. He was compelled to submit, received the tiara from the hands of Moncada, made a truce with Charles, and promised to withdraw his troops from Lombardy. The conduct of the Pope was not calculated to stimulate the Emperor to a more active persecution of Luther. At the Diet held at Speyer in 1526, it was determined that until a general national church assembly could be convened, each German province should practice that form of worship which the local government should sanction. While Germany was thus breaking away from the allegiance to the papacy, the Turks had become masters of Hungary. Solomon the Magnificent, having gained the victory of Mohach on August 29, 1526, in which King Louis II lost his life. Clement VII probably never intended to keep the truce with Charles V. 
and scarcely needed the arguments of Henry and Francis to induce him to break it. On the other hand, the emperor determined upon vigorous measures. He dispatched Lanois to Naples, whilst an army was collected in Germany under Georg Funzberg, an ardent partisan of Luther, who had done much to secure the victory of Pavia. Funzberg was a prince of Mindelsheim, the principality which after the Battle of Blenheim was given by the emperor to the Duke of Marlborough. The bulk of his army was composed of pious Lanzknechts, at this time the most powerful infantry in Europe, stronger than either the French hommes d'armes or the Swiss. They formed a kind of organized military republic, the duties and obligations on either side being carefully drawn up and guaranteed. They were generally armed with a long lance, which they carried over their shoulders, and were clad in a striped dress of different colors, but their arms and uniforms were very much varied. They consisted of Schwabians, Franconians, Bavarians, and Tyrolese, all of them young, strong, and active. Frunzberg was determined to march on Rome, and it is said that he carried with him a golden cord with which he intended to hang the Pope. On November 1526 he marched over the little-known passes lying between the Lake of Garda and the Lake of Idro, until he descended into the territory of Brescia. At the same time Lanois sailed to Naples and began to invade the papal territory from the south. On December 21st he had marched as far as Frosinone. The Lansconecks came on with irresistible force. They were at one time decoyed by the Marquis of Mantua into a trap, and were very nearly destroyed. Encompassed by swamps and ditches, they were attacked by the Duke of Urbino and Giovanni de' Medici, captain of the Bande Nere, or Black Bands, but they escaped by their marvellous steadiness. They were greatly assisted by Alfonso, Duke of Ferrara, who, after much hesitation, now determined to join the Emperor. He sent Frunzberg money, provisions, and cannon. On November 27th, Giovanni de' Medici was wounded close to Governolo by a shot from an arquebus in the same leg in which he had been wounded two years before at Pavia. He was carried to Mantua, where his leg was amputated, but he died on December 30th in the arms of Pietro Aretino, at the early age of twenty-eight. He was the great-grandson of Lorenzo, younger brother of Cosimo, pater patriae. His mother was Caterina Sforza. Someone has called him a mixture of hero and fawn, but he was the last hope of Italy and of the Pope. Frunzberg had reached Firenzuolo between Parma and Piacenza on December 14th. Here he was joined on February 7th by the constable Bourbon, who came from Milan. Their army was now thirty thousand strong, an immense force for those days. It comprised sixteen thousand Lanzknechts, five thousand Spaniards, two thousand Italians, five hundred men-at-arms, and one thousand light cavalry. A fortnight afterwards they set out on their march, their destination being either Florence or Rome. Terror reigned in the Eternal City, and the civic militia was called out after a disuse of many years. The invading army had now reached San Giovanni in the immediate neighborhood of Bologna, when a mutiny broke out, which nearly brought the expedition to an untimely end. 
the soldiers were in want of arms money and provisions the spanish soldiers heard a rumour that a truce had been signed with the pope and clamoured for pay the disorder spread to the lansknechts frunsberg tried to pacify them and told them that in a month all would be well but they would not listen and levelled their spears at him this broke his heart he sank down on a drum and never spoke again he was first carried to ferrara and then to augsburg where he died a year and a half afterwards he was one of the greatest of the german soldiers and in different parts of his character resembled both cromwell and wallenstein a few days after this clement made a truce with charles the emperor was to have naples sforza was to be restored to milan and the pope was to pay the army of bourbon sixty thousand ducats on the condition that it retired from italy these terms were ratified by lanois and were carried by cesare fiera mosca to the army but they refused to accept them and fiera mosca nearly lost his life the spaniards said that they had committed many sins and needed to be absolved at rome at the end of march the army resumed its march lanois went to florence to see what arrangements he could effect it was agreed that one hundred and fifty thousand ducats should be paid to the army and that it should retreat on receipt of the first instalment the money was supplied by melting down church and public plate lanois went to visit bourbon in person who was encamped in the casentino but the constable raised his demands to two hundred and forty thousand ducats it was evident that he always intended to plunder first florence and then rome lanois was so ashamed of having effected nothing that he would not return to florence but retired to siena clement was now in great straits when he felt certain that the march of bourbon would be stopped he had dismissed the bandenere and left himself defenceless but when it became evident that the attack was inevitable he again joined the league of cognac which he had previously left the constable now advanced to arezzo a position from which he could equally threaten florence and rome the duke of urbino barred the way to florence but left the road to rome open bourbon suddenly declared to his troops the object of his march they marched by way of siena monte pulciano and monte fiascone reaching viterbo on march second where they were received by the knights of st john they crossed the monte cimnio drove the papal troops out of ronchiliano and encamped at isola farnese the site of the ancient veii three hours distant from rome from this point the constable sent a trumpeter to demand a free passage into the neapolitan territory while some lansknechts attempted to cross the river in boats the next day may fifth fifteen twenty seven the constable established his headquarters at the monastery of sant'onofrio on the janiculan the place in which were spent the last days of the poet tasso his army of forty thousand men now surrounded the city in a half circle the germans on one side the spaniards and italians on the other a council of war was held which determined on an assault the attack began in the grey dawn of may sixth the germans advancing upon one side the spaniards and italians on the other they had no cannon and were forced to make their scaling ladders out of vine stakes the walls of the city were covered by a thick mist 
bourbon in person his coat embroidered with silver urged on his warriors on horseback soon seeing them waver he leaped from his horse seized a ladder mounted it and beckoned with his hand a ball struck him in the stomach he cried out ha notre dame je suis mort our lady i am dead and fell the prince of orange covered him with his cloak and he was carried into a neighbouring chapel a dying man benvenuto cellini the famous sculptor claims for himself the honour of having fired the fatal shot but the fact rests upon no other evidence than his own the fall of their leader inspired the besieging army with a new courage and they stormed the walls in a resistless flood the pope fled from the vatican along the wooden bridge into the castle of st angelo covered with a bishop's mantle and about three thousand people took refuge in the same place it was a misfortune for the pope that the constable was killed had he lived he would have spared the city and after exacting a large tribute marched on to naples or venice as it was the army could not be restrained the last defence was made at the bridge of san sisto the victorious soldiers remained in the ranks during the day but at midnight they broke up to plunder the city the sack of rome was permitted for three days but when philibert of chalon prince of orange who had succeeded bourbon in the command of the army attempted to put a stop to it he found that he was unable to do so it continued for twelve days longer and then only ceased because there was nothing more to rob it was at least as great a disaster as the burning of rome by the gauls or its plunder by alaric no persons nor property were spared after the sack came famine and after the famine pestilence which lasted not for days or weeks but for months it was impossible to pass through any street of rome which was not crowded with dead or dying the miserable inhabitants in vain hoped for assistance the army of the league under the duke of urbino advanced southwards by slow marches and reached isola farnese on may twenty second after long consultations they determined not to relieve the city and at the beginning of june marched back again to viterbo the conditions granted to the pope were extremely hard he agreed to pay one hundred thousand ducats at once fifty thousand in twenty days and two hundred and fifty thousand in two months as a pledge of fulfilment he gave up the castles of st angelo ostia civitavecchia civita castellano parma piacenza and modena he promised to absolve the colonna to remain for the present a prisoner in the castle of st angelo and then to repair to naples or gaeta to await the decision of the emperor five of the noblest romans including two cardinals were delivered up as hostages and with difficulty escaped with their lives in order to pay these enormous sums clement was reduced to the humiliation of asking benvenuto cellini to melt even his tiara and what was perhaps still more bitter to borrow three hundred thousand ducats from the duke of ferrara End of section thirty Section thirty one of the Age of the Condottieri by Oscar Browning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. 
Chapter Fourteen: The Fall of Florence, Part One. We must now return to Florence, which will remain the centre of our narrative until we have traced the first subjection of Italy to its close. The news of the sack of Rome reached Florence on May twelfth. The enemies of the Medici, who were called at this time the Libertini, thought that the time had come for them to throw off the yoke. Niccolo, the son of Piero Capponi, a man of high position in the state, respected by all the citizens for his integrity and moderation, and for the services rendered to the state by his great ancestor, placed himself at their head. One of the most prominent citizens of Florence at this time was Filippo Strozzi, a man of great wealth and great authority. He had married Clarice de' Medici, the sister of Lorenzo, Duke of Urbino, and was therefore regarded as being in a certain sense a member of that house. Passerini, Cardinal of Cortona, had been appointed governor of Florence in 1524 by Pope Clement VII. The most determined of the partisans of the Medici now urged him to act with vigor in repressing the popular movement but he showed an entire want of courage and resolution he hovered between the different plans proposed to him and he was at length induced to consent to the summoning of a pratica or an informal assembly of citizens to consider the condition of the state the pratica discussed the reopening of the great council the creation of a balia or committee of twenty citizens for the reform of the constitution and the setting up of a council of a hundred and twenty persons. It was understood that Ippolito and Alessandro de' Medici should leave the city. Alessandro, the mulatto, and Ippolito, the son of Giuliano, Duke of Namur, then a youth of eighteen. Filippo Strozzi was sent to the young princes to tell them that they must go and deliver up the fortresses. His manner was stern and severe, and his orders were enforced by the violence of his wife, who poured the vials of her scorn upon Ippolito and Alessandro, whom she regarded as unworthy scions of her illustrious house. The cardinal agreed to do everything that Strozzi desired, provided the lives of the young men were safe. Passerini and the two Medici left the city on May 17th, accompanied by Strozzi and others representing the Balia he had orders to follow them to pisa in order to secure the surrender of the fortress of that city as well as the citadel of Ligorne. but at pisa they contrived to elude the guard of strozzi and escaped to lucca in safety without having surrendered the fortresses this cast a great slur on the reputation of filippo strozzi he became an object of suspicion to the popular government he left florence to take refuge at lyon he abandoned politics and made peace with the Pope. After the departure of the Medici, Florence was in the greatest confusion, being torn asunder by opposing factions. These were the moderate Ottimati, the supporters of a tempered aristocracy, the Arabiati, who were strong democrats, and the Parta Palesca, which consisted of the open and secret partisans of the Medici for the moment the Ottimati triumphed. They saved the town from disorder and confusion and set to work to reconstruct the government. The arms and ensigns of the Pope were pulled down and the ancient Giglio or Lily of popular liberty set up in their place. The Otto di Balia were put an end to 
and the Balia dissolved itself. On May 21st, a great council of the citizens was summoned in the hall of the Palazzo Vecchio, which was attended by 2,500 persons. Not only the hall itself, but also the staircases were crowded. No such sight had been seen since the days of Savonarola. A constitution was formed which seemed likely to preserve the liberties of the state. A council called the Ten of Liberty and Peace, Dieci di Libertà e Pace, was created, and the Council of Eighty was reinstituted. It was determined that the standard-bearer should remain in office thirteen months, and should be elected by the great council. Niccolo Caponi was appointed to the office. A quarantia, or judicial board of forty, was established in imitation of the similar institution at Venice. The news of the capture of Rome was received with rejoicing in Germany, but with different feelings in England and France, who were afraid of the exaggerated power of Charles. With these sentiments, Henry and Francis signed a treaty at Westminster with the object of setting the Pope free. A French army under Odette de Foix, Lord of Lautrec, Marshal of France, crossed the Alps at the end of July, and in August, 1527, a league was formed between France, England, Venice, Florence, and Sforza of Milan. We now see the beginning of the policy which afterwards induced Henry to divorce Catherine of Aragon in order to free himself completely from Spain. Charles might have made whatever terms he pleased with the Pope. He was tempted at one time to have destroyed the temporal power forever, but he shrank from so strong a step. It is possible that to have established a Spanish dynasty of Italian kings with Rome for their capital might have anticipated the work of many years. But the time was not ripe for it, and it is probable that it could not have come to pass in any other epoch but our own. On December 8, 1527, the Pope escaped from confinement and fled to Orvieto. While he thanked Charles for being allowed to exist as a monarch, his eyes naturally turned toward Francis. Florence was not altogether at peace. Capone had many enemies, and the memory of recent woes and the revival of the great council induced the remains of the Piagnoni to recall the memory of Savonarola. The monks of St. Mark aimed at a religious revival. This would have added strength to the turbulent faction of the Arabiati, but Capone ruled with moderation and kept both the contending parties in check. The Piagnoni, however, succeeded in proclaiming Christ the King of Florence. At the same time, the city made preparations for the coming war. The Bande Nere, the black bands, which had once obeyed Giovanni de' Medici, were now reorganized by Orazio Balioni. On January 28, 1528, the war of the League against the Emperor was solemnly proclaimed. Lautrec determined to avoid the territory of Rome, and marched, as so many previous invaders had done, through the great central valley of Italy to Naples. Balioni, to the misfortune of Florence, led his black bands through the Campagna of Rome, and joined Lautrec at Lucera. The imperial troops advanced southwards to oppose him, carrying with them the corpse of the constable Bourbon in a leaden coffin. Lautrec began the siege of Naples on May 1st, while Clement began to approach Rome, moving from Orvieto to Viterbo, 
from which place he dispatched Cardinal Campeggi as legate to England, a memorable event in the history of our country. Italy was in a state of the deepest misery. From one end of the peninsula to the other it was a battlefield for Spaniards, Germans, French, and Italians. All the different powers were tearing Clement asunder. Henry VIII was suing for a divorce. If the Pope refused it, he drove the king into the arms of Luther. If he granted it, he offended the emperor. The emperor's fleet was severely defeated by Filippino Doria off Capo d'Orso in the neighborhood of Sorrento. Moncara and Cesare Fiaramosca were killed, but this victory proved the ruin of the French. Reinforcements were dispatched to the contending armies on either side. Francis Bourbon, Lord of St. Paul, led a large host in the pay of France and England, while Archduke Ferdinand sent to the army of the Emperor ten thousand infantry and six hundred horse under the command of Henry of Brunswick. These armies engaged each other in the north of Italy, but worse than all, Andrea Doria, the great Genoese admiral, following the instincts of a condottiere, abandoned the cause of the French, and sent orders to his nephew Filippino to desist from the siege of Naples. The army of Lautrec was destroyed by pestilence, of twenty-five thousand infantry there only remained four thousand. Of eight hundred men-at-arms only one hundred survived. Lautrec himself fell ill and died on August 16th. Baliano had died of a wound at Capua the month before, and was succeeded in the command of the black bands by Ugo Pepoli. The Germans said that the French had never had good fortune in Naples, and that the blood of Conradin still cried aloud for vengeance. In October, Genoa threw off the French yoke and elected as doge Uberto Cataneo. This change of fortune in favor of the emperor induced the pope to make peace with him, and on October 6, 1528, he was able to return to his desolated capital. It resembled the return of Honorius after the destruction of Rome by Alaric, out of the eighty-five thousand inhabitants which were numbered under Leo X, only thirty-two thousand now remained. The Pope now began to contrive vengeance against his persecutors. He was specially enraged against Florence, which was still under the wise and moderate rule of Caponi. The arms of the Medici had been pulled down and trampled in the dust. His nephews had been insulted, and the charge of bastardy which had been brought against them was equally valid against himself. Clement knew that the most acceptable bait which could be offered to the emperor was the reduction of Florence. Caponi entered into negotiations with Clement, but the party of the Ottimati was weak and that of the Arabiati impetuous. The correspondence was discovered and Caponi was arrested and brought to trial. His acquittal was complete. Even his enemies acknowledged the integrity of his mind and the purity of his intentions. But he felt bound to retire from Florence and sought rest in a quiet villa where he could meditate on the approaching ruin of his country. The people thronged round him as he left the city, full of sympathy and reverence for his character. Francesco Carducci, a representative of the Democratic Party, was elected gonfaloniere in his place. 
End of section 31. Section 32 of The Age of the Condottieri by Oscar Browning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 14 The Fall of Florence, Part 2. On June 12, 1529, De Leyva, the general of the emperor in Milan, defeated the French under Saint Paul in the Battle of Landriano. The result of this was to make Charles V master of Lombardy and peace became possible. The Treaty of Barcelona signed on June 29, 1529, between the Emperor and the Pope, provided that Ravenna and Cervia would be taken from the Venetians, Modena, Reggio, and Rubiera from the Duke of Ferrara, and held by the Pope as imperial fiefs. The Medici were to be restored to Florence. Alessandro de' Medici was to marry Margaret, the emperor's natural daughter. Charles was to suppress the Reformation and come to be crowned at Rome. The Pope was to be restored to his estates and Sforza to Milan, if he should be proved to be innocent. Charles was to be invested with the kingdom of Naples. This was followed by the Peace of Cambrai between Charles and Francis, published on August 5th in the cathedral of that city by this francis gave up all his rights over italy and left venice florence and ferrara to the vengeance of the emperor philibert prince of orange the last of the house of chalon the principality after his death passing into the house of nassau was marked out as the destroyer of florence he collected forces and money in rome where the soldiers were eager for the plunder of florence as they had already plundered rome the Emperor Charles V landed at Genoa on August 12th, preceded by 2,000 Spanish infantry. He was now at the height of his power, and appeared to the subject world as a second Charles the Great. Florence sent ambassadors to him, four in number after the manner of the Republic, Niccolo Caponi, Tommaso Soderini, Matteo Strozzi, and Raffaele Girolami, they obtained an audience by the intervention of Andrea Doria. They begged the emperor to preserve the liberty of their city and not to surrender them to the Medici, but he received them coolly and sent them away unconsoled. Strozzi went to Venice, Soderini to Lucca. Caponi died on the way home, but he had time to send a last message to his fellow citizens, warning them of the uselessness of resistance. His advice was unheeded. Desperate attempts were made to raise money. Sacrilegious hands were laid upon the property of the church and the endowments of the guilds. Meanwhile, the Prince of Orange continued to advance. Malatesta Balioni came to terms with the Pope and delivered Perugia into his hands. The Florentines determined to make a last effort for peace by sending an embassy to the Pope. They chose for the purpose Francesco Vettori, Andreolo Nicolini, Jacopo Giuciardini, and Pier Francesco Portinari. They did not know what instructions to give, and decided to allow them a free hand. The Pope made answer to them that when he returned to his own home, he would show to the world that he did not desire to be tyrant of his country, but only to secure its welfare. Arezzo revolted from Florence at the approach of Philibert, 
and declared itself a free republic this blow only stimulated the citizens to greater efforts they employed the great sculptor michelangelo bonoratti to repair their fortifications especially on the height of san miniato the delicious villas and gardens which generations of cultured merchants had made for their delectation were destroyed the women themselves aiding in the work michelangelo visited capone in his last moment and heard from his lips the dying cry to what a pass have we led our miserable country in the first days of october fifteen twenty nine the heads of the invading columns appeared in the val d'arno wasting as they went the army of the prince of orange numbered between thirty and forty thousand the florentines again sent an embassy but philibert demanded the restoration of the medici and the nomination of half of the great council by the pope they replied that they would rather see florence in ashes than under the medici the prince advanced and began to bombard the new fortifications of michelangelo on san miniato from the height of arcetri at this time the pope was at bologna awaiting the arrival of the emperor one gleam of hope for the doomed city now illumined the scene the emperor heard at piacenza that john sapolia had received the crown of hungary from the hands of the sultan and that soliman was marching on vienna with two hundred and fifty thousand turks for a moment clement moderated his terms and asked only for the adhesion of florence to the league of cambrai and that the pope should be allowed to nominate ten members of the council of eighty these hopes however were soon dispelled by the repulse of the ottoman army the emperor arrived at bologna on november fifteenth charles knelt before clement as barbarossa had knelt at venice before alexander the third he kissed the pope's hand and foot and did him homage nearly all the italian princes were collected together at bologna as if to a congress venice made her submission sforza received milan as an imperial fief the end of the conference was that on december twenty third a so-called everlasting league was signed between the pope the emperor the king of hungary venice milan mantua savoy and montferrat when peace was restored the arms of a united europe were to turn against the turks the reformation was to be suppressed and the church reformed by a council the peace which sealed the political death of italy was solemnly proclaimed on new year's day fifteen thirty in the church of st petronius on february twenty fourth the lucky day of charles the day of his birth and of the battle of pavia charles v was crowned by the pope after the custom of the ancient rite two days earlier he had been crowned king of italy not with the iron crown of monza which was too small for him but with the crown of the king of the romans even after the humiliation of the papacy the emperor did not disdain to hold the pope's stirrup very few germans were present but the pomp which accompanied the solemn cavalcade through the streets of bologna had never been surpassed alessandro de medici bore the standard of the church teresino held up the papal train charles the third of savoy carried the emperor's cap who wore the crown on his head bonifacio of montferrat held the golden sceptre and philip of bavaria the golden ball about a month later charles returned to germany 
and in june at augsburg received the famous confession which bears the name of that city the manifesto of the protestant faith a week later the pope returned to rome clement now turned all his energies to the reduction of florence the city fought boldly against tremendous odds the last bulwark of italian liberty she had lost many of her greatest men among them caponi but a new captain arose for her needs strict even to severity stern even to inhumanity courageous even to imprudence stubborn even to obstinacy this was francesco ferrucci the scion of an ancient family who had been brought up as a merchant he had learnt the career of arms under the french in italy and had been made prisoner by the imperialists his first exploit was the recovery of san miniato al tedesco from the spaniards still the cause which ferrucci supported was desperate prato and pistoria were abandoned in order to save empoli pisa and Ligorn. on january twenty sixth fifteen thirty malatesta balioni was made captain-general and the baton of command was solemnly presented to him in the great square of the signori no one believed that he could prove a traitor ferrucci wrote from empoli to congratulate the ten on his appointment it was only in the time of their need that the florentines found out that he had the common vice of all condottieri and of all those who fight for money and for their own advantage two days after the appointment of balioni an ambassador came from france to counsel submission abandoned by all the world they determined to put their trust in god and benedetto di ferrano after preaching in the great hall of the public palace gave to the gonfalonieri a standard on which was painted the figure of christ their king ferrucci now signalized himself by a brilliant feat of arms voltaire revolted and gave herself to the pope but ferrucci marching from empoli recovered the city conquering it street by street and house by house unfortunately in the absence of ferrucci the more important town of empoli was seized and paved the way for the capture of florence the prince of orange had promised to reduce the town in two months but the siege lingered and the pope was at the end of his resources he created new cardinals to obtain money however pestilence and famine took possession of the beleaguered city meat became very scarce and horses cats and even mice were used for food a sortie was made on may fifth thirty companies of citizens fought for four hours but could not break the lines of the besieging forces after this the troops were counted and they found that they had under arms three thousand young men between eighteen and forty years of age and two thousand between forty and fifty the rest of the army was composed of mercenary troops under the command of malatesta the council of eighty determined to continue the struggle as long as they had a crust of bread on the night of june twentieth to twenty first the florentines made a second sortie stefano colonna led the attack upon the german camp while malatesta prevented the prince of orange from marching to the rescue the attempt failed and malatesta was suspected of treachery the end was now at hand orders were sent to ferrucci who was then at volterra to go to pisa and from his place to attack the besieging army while at the same time malatesta and the florentines would make a final sortie from the city 
he reached pisa on july twenty first passing by way of Ligorne. he got together with great difficulty three thousand infantry and six hundred cavalry with ten large muskets and twenty cannon when ordered to make his departure he exclaimed we are going to death it is said that he conceived the bold idea of marching to rome and forcing the prince of orange to raise the siege and follow him but the ten of liberty adhered to their plan and he obeyed marching through lucca he met orange on october twelfth at gavinone in the territory of pistaria the two armies entered the village at the same moment the struggle was long and fierce the imperialists began to give way the prince of orange was killed ferrucci's soldiers raised shouts of victory but the rear-guard composed of germans stayed the flight and changed the fortune of the battle ferrucci was taken prisoner and led before maramaldo who had succeeded orange in the command maramaldo struck the hero with his hand and the soldiers dispatched him the promised sortie from florence never took place it is said by the treachery of malatesta the florentines could number eight thousand infantry six thousand two hundred and seventy mercenaries and twenty pieces of artillery the signori and the magistrates determined on the enterprise and with this view they received the communion in the church of our lady of the flower but at the last moment malatesta and colonna refused to march when the news of ferrucci's death arrived there was nothing left but to submit malatesta had been already in treaty with the enemy perhaps with the idea of preventing needless bloodshed but also with the hope of getting back perugia from the pope he was now master of the town and the citizens laid down their arms four ambassadors lorenzo strozzi pier francesco portinari bardo altoviti and Jacopo morelli concluded terms with ferrante gonzaga on august twelfth florence was to pay eighty thousand ducats and the whole dominion of florence without exception was to be subject to such a form of government as the emperor might ordain within four months liberty of the city being preserved florence had lost in the siege eight thousand citizens and fourteen thousand foreign soldiers she was utterly impoverished by her efforts she had spent one million two hundred thousand ducats during the eleven months of the siege on august twentieth a balia of twelve citizens was elected to reorganize the constitution and the exiles returned to the town alessandro de medici became duke of florence on july sixth fifteen thirty and reigned till january sixth fifteen thirty one when he was murdered by his cousin lorenzino thus florence fell three years after the sack of rome our history ends with her as it began with her during the two hundred and eighty years we have traversed she never played an unworthy part she was always the home of culture and the asserter of liberty if rome has a superior claim to sovereignty as the widowed mistress of the world the love and reverence of every italian must turn with pious yearning toward the towers of florence end of section thirty two recording by pamela nagami m d encino california august fourth in the year of the plague twenty twenty end of the age of the condottieri a short history of medieval italy 
from 1409 to 1530 by Oscar Browning. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.